You are the foundation of your family. You are the firm footing they build their lives on. You carry a glorious burden and you never dream of laying it down. You carry it with joy and gratitude. You show up even when you don't feel like it. You lead, serve, love, and protect. You are a father. This is the Dad Work Podcast, where men are forged into elite husbands and fathers by learning what it takes to become harder to kill, easier to love, and equipped to lead. Get ready to start building the only legacy that truly matters, your family. Welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of Dad Work. I am joined today by Parker Green. And guys, we go deep today talking about why weak fathers correlate directly to a weak society and what to do about it. How to hold your ground in a world determined to destroy fathers and families. How to develop spiritual disciplines that aim you toward a life empty of regrets. Jesus Christ is the ultimate definition of masculinity. How to serve your family and build your community through leadership. And why fathers need to go on the offensive and stop ceding ground to evil. Parker Green is a leader, pastor, author, and slightly above average CrossFitter. His core mission in life is to give men the tools to win at life, get on the offensive, and restore masculinity to a generation that's been told it's shameful to be a man. You can find him on Instagram at Parker Richard Green. You can also find him at thegreens.co, including a way to get his book early. It is called Way of the Victorious. I was able to read this a little while ago before it came out. And guys, it's actually really good. It is a very action-packed book. It is like a manual on how to just take life by the horns in a uh, in a disciplined sort of way as a man and lead yourself spiritually, lead yourself in everything you do and in order to lead your family well, obviously these things are required. So I actually recommend picking this up, Way of the Victorious. It is a quick and easy read and uh, it'll actually benefit you if you just do what it says. It's one of those. So guys, this is extremely good conversation. We have a great time here and there's a number of things here. I was just like, man, you are, you're basically me. <laughs> so I think if you like the Dad Work Podcast, you're probably gonna like Parker. And uh, yeah, we just had a good time here. So I'm gonna let you guys get in this episode, but I have to remind you two things. Number one, if you haven't joined the Dad Work Elite Dad Challenge, 10 days free via email, 10 different challenges, 10 different days, all you gotta do is put them into practice. Your life will improve. If you haven't done this yet, go to dad.work slash challenge. Literally, go to your phone, open Safari or whatever you use, type dad.work slash challenge, put your email in there and you'll start getting the emails immediately. That's number one. Number two, if you have been enjoying this podcast and you think like me, that we win by getting this into the ears of more fathers to help them become elite men, husband, and fathers to raise great kids and therefore in the next couple of generations raise an amazing force of human beings to take the world back from its degeneracy right now, then the best way to do that if you want to help is to leave a review. If you're on Spotify, it's literally two taps. You tap the little star thing beside the name of the podcast and you tap what you think it is at a five. You should make it five because that's the way to help, obviously. But if you want to go to Apple. If you also listen on Apple, then please leave a quick rating and review. You just find the podcast page, scroll down, hit the review of how many stars again, five would be great, but you do what you feel is right. Leave a quick review. This is the best way we've seen a jump in the last couple of weeks. And I think it's because of the amount of reviews that we're getting. So if you want to do 15 seconds of work to help this cause out, I would very much appreciate that from one man to another. So thank you guys for listening. Here is the episode with Parker Green. Let's Go. All right, dads, we're back for another episode of the Dad Work Podcast. I am pumped to have Parker Green with me today, dude. Thank you so much for showing up and thanks for sending the book. I was yeah, just absolutely. reading through it and uh, like plowed through the whole thing just about in a couple of hours this morning. So I uh, highly recommend that. We're going to put a link in the show notes and at the end of this episode for people to pick that up because I would recommend it. But I want to talk to you because you've been putting out some content on Instagram. And actually, yeah. my wife sent you to me and I was like, let me check this guy out. That happens and, a lot. <laughs> right? And well, same thing, man. Like a lot of the guys who join us, they're like, oh, my wife sent me. I didn't want to look at it. But man, anytime I find someone who is like spinning fire on real topics unapologetically, like we're going to be friends. So I want to yeah. have you on here because like so much of this stuff is so real for so many dads and you're both living it as a dad and a husband while also like ministering other people through it, presumably. And yep. so I wanted to talk about like the whole 
Uh, well, the first topic, I guess, is like weak fathers correlating to a weak society. Let's just open that Pandora's box because it is so huge. There's so much weakness. And the first couple chapters of your book, you're talking about like, don't be a victim. <laughs> like, just don't be weak. Don't <laughs> yeah. be a victim. Uh, but so many of us are. So uh, long way of introduction. But where do you want to take the discussion on weak fathers leading to a weak society? Well, I think the first step is uh, we have a whole society of men and especially fathers that haven't actually stepped into fatherhood in general, mostly because no one has actually ever shown them how to do that. They actually don't know how to step into fatherhood. They don't know what the first step actually is. Um, and that weakness shows up in <laughs> everything. The whole transgender issue right now, you're looking at a bunch of Generation Z kids and millennials as well, our generation as well, that have no idea how to raise a family, don't want to grow up. It's Peter Pan syndrome all over the place. Um, and I think the church especially, which is my field, uh, has failed over the last 50 or 60 years showing men how to just be men in their household, how to lead a family, how to do it in an excellent way, um, and to have male friends that don't just coddle them, um, but actually challenge them, eviscerate them sometimes. <laughs> in, any, in any good male culture, there's a lot of teasing, but it's important. I think the teasing is so important because it opens you up to your flaws and your weaknesses. And you're like, actually, that's, it was funny, but it's something I need to work on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, man. There, there's like, uh, I heard someone say, bring back bullying. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> you know, within a, within like the, the right sphere, that's actually, you know, real because like you say, there's nobody, there's no pushback. There's no, how do I know where my limits are? And actually that's one of the things, um, that I found and I've, I've got out of it. I'm committing to get back into it soon is like through jujitsu. I did a couple months of that before Canada shut literally right. everything down and I was a terrorist for that. So, uh, I wasn't able to train anymore, but in those two months that I was doing that, I learned where my limits were. And I think that's so important in having masculine friends around you, but like, Man, the eight, like eight thousand issues already that I just want to dive yep. into. But <laughs> jump how, in, man. Let's roll. Like, how are we doing this then? Because for me, like, I literally see my role as teaching men the things that I had to learn the hard way that almost cost me my life because I felt so bad about things. I didn't have that leadership of here's how to be a dad, here's how to be a man, here's how to be a husband. And I'm like, dude, it literally almost cost me my life because I felt so bad I was going to end it all. When I work with guys, it's like. I'm not an elder yet, and so I'm coming alongside you. I can't tell you what to do, but here's what worked for me. But where else are we seeing this? Because I want to know personally for me, how are guys being taught this if the dads are not out there teaching them? Where can a listener go to be like, how do I even become a man? Where do you learn this? Because like you said, nobody's teaching it. Right. You have to want it. I think that's the first step. Uh, I think you have to want the actual responsibility. And that was the first step for me stepping into fatherhood. When you have that first kid, um, you know, our son David, when he was born in 2016, uh, life radically changed. You're no longer the most important human being in your universe. Even when you're married, um, you know, there's that first step. And that's why I think I agree with Jordan Peterson on this, that you don't really become an adult until you have kids. Um, until you're actually responsible for someone else and realizing that the outcomes of his life would be highly determinant on how I raised him and how I treated his mother and how I kept our household in order, even down to the brass tacks of just exercise. Like my kid now, he's, he's seven years old, about to be seven years old. And he'll wake up in the morning sometimes, 5, 6 a.m., and just be out on the barbells with me in a hilarious, like, seven-year-old kind of way. But he's out there because he sees me doing it. And I think what we need in our life, first of all, um, is, is a clear example of masculinity. And that's actually what I found in the Bible. That's what I found in Jesus was a clear example of self-sacrifice. You have this man who took on literally the sin of the world. We think about that as like almost like a weakness, the cross being a weakness. But while he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is taking on the burden that his father has given him. And I think that's the thing we need to first do is take 
on a burden. Take on the burden and take personal responsibility. I was telling some of our students this morning, we have a a school here called The Commission, um, that we need to take personal responsibility for the the state of the world as it's in right now. A lot of us point fingers. It's the Democrats. It's them. It's Trudeau. It's whatever it is. Like, it's that person's fault, right? But really, those people are in positions of power is because fathers have not taken personal responsibility for their households. They haven't shown up. We've created a huge power vacuum, a vacuum of strength throughout Western society that has allowed weak men to step in positions of power and and start tearing the whole thing down. So I think to start, to start, um, I started in the Bible, and I'd highly recommend anybody looking at the person of Jesus in a brand new way. This is what I challenge people to do. You may think Jesus is effeminate. He was like a hippie walking around, touching people, being nice to everyone. But if you go through the four Gospels and highlight in blue everything Jesus says that is highly offensive, that is rude, that is confronting, like the whip he takes and fashions overnight and clears out the temple. He could have been killed for that on the spot. If you go through that and then highlight in pink, like buy a cheap Bible or steal one from a hotel room from the Gideons, whatever you've got to do. But highlight in pink all the things that seem effeminate, that seem like a, a female aspect of, of what we would say are Christian values. You will be shocked at how much Jesus was openly confronting society and was just generally a, a baller, like how he went and not caring about what anyone thought about him. And he decided the time of his own death. None of us get to do that, but taking on that burden right off the bat Um, I became fascinated with the person of Jesus in that way. He wasn't just someone I could love, because love doesn't mean a whole lot to men um, in a lot of contexts and situations that's been so watered down, but he was someone I could respect. And that's when I really, I think I became a real believer. I was like, oh, I respect this man, and I can do what he did. And that's where we should start. And second, um, find other men in your life. Uh, that are doing exactly what you want to do. People are so hungry for father figures. And third, give it away. I think giving it away to other people is what actually teaches you. It's like if you're going to teach someone how to like quit pornography, for example, which is like kind of which is trending right now. You have all these masculine dudes that are disciplined in every area of their life, but can't keep it in their pants, right? So you have these men you're teaching how to discipline themselves. You better be doing it yourself. There's like an element of good shame where you're like, I better discipline myself so that I can I can actually teach them something, if that makes sense. Oh, so that's my sure. one, yeah. two, three. Three step process to a transformed life of masculinity. Let's go. Okay, end of podcast. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's really important. I, I uh always like actually do the work that I tell my guys to do inside of our program. I'm like, here's my screenshots of me doing the habit stack because yeah, I want to lead from example and not be a hypocrite, which is one of those things that Jesus tells people, you're a hypocrite. And that's like one of those blue confrontational uh, highlights. And man, it was literally the masculinity of Jesus that caught my eye and removed the veil from my face when I saw this like a a year and a half ago now. And uh, in the book, uh, the way, uh, what is it called? Way of the Victorious, I should say, your new book that is coming out or just came out, I think. Uh, Uh, Technically, it releases July 3rd, but we can get you the secret sauce if you want the secret sauce. (laughs) We can get people in on it early. Okay. So by the time this comes out, it'll be like a month away. So put that on the early, you know, wait list or whatever you want to do, find that. But you say basically that Jesus was like the one person who could truly innocently claim that he was a victim. And yet, like, did he ever use that as his identity? Not once. And I think that's an important piece to maybe touch on in the masculinity of Christ and how we as men should be following that. Can you talk a little bit about victim culture and using excuses these days? Absolutely. I think, um, I read, uh, the abridged version of the Gulag Archipelago and, uh, Solzhenitsyn comes to the conclusion that it's actually his fault that he's in the gulags Ooh, in Siberia. Savage. And it's one of the most uh, eye-opening experiences. I mean, he goes through the depravity he sees, um, the rapes that are happening on a daily basis, people wasting away, um, you know, people being told they're going to be released and then kept in, people trying to run away, being whipped, beaten, tortured, worked to the bone in the snow in Siberia. Um, for punishment as small as what he wrote in a letter on the front lines of World War II, by the way, he criticized Stalin's tactics in one sentence. And as soon as he finished beating the Germans, they put him on a truck to Siberia. 
And he decided by the end of his time there that it was actually his fault because he hadn't resisted the revolution. He hadn't spoke up when it was time to speak up. He hadn't held the line when it was time to hold the line. And in a world where we have a victim Olympics, nobody wins. And that's what nobody realizes. When it comes to victimization, like people are victimized, right? But you cannot have an identity of a victim. That's why you see this two-tiered process of some people that become victims, and that's their identity. That's what they're going to do with the rest of their life is claim that, that victim status. And then you have people that have had the worst, horrific, awful lives come out on top somehow raise an amazing family, and do something incredible. And when it comes to Jesus himself, he lived a perfect life. And so he's the only person that was actually could actually claim the fact that he was a victim on the cross, but he flips that on its head by saying, I'm deciding the day of my death. So even Jesus, the one who could claim that he was actually a victim and completely perfect, says, no, you know what? I'm choosing the day and the hour. My father's choosing the day and the hour. And for us personally, um, it's really important for us to be in a position where we're actually in control of what we're in control of. There's a personal sovereignty involved here. If you want your life to improve, you take responsibility. If you want it to continue sucking, if you want it to continue, you know, repeating yourself with broken relationships and a broken life and broken finances and not achieving what you want to achieve, go ahead, be a victim, but look at what it's produced. 50 plus percent of people on medication for some kind of psychological issue. There's an enormous rate of suicide that's never been around before in younger generations. There's a lack of hope in general. And that's because people think they're powerless. And society is teaching you as a man, especially, because if they can get you, they can get everyone. A man, especially that you're a victim of the world around you, but you never actually are. You can always contain your freedom, even in prison you can be free. (laughs) There's so many examples of men that have stood up to all kinds of power and never decided to be a victim. So in our society, I think it's, it's pervasive because it's easy. Because if you're responsible for the disaster of your life, you've got to clean up the mess. I remember the first time I was a kid and my room was a total disaster and I cried. I think I was like seven or eight years old because my room was a mess. And my mom looks at me in the eye and she says, you created the monster, you have to kill it. (laughs) And she sent me in there until I was done cleaning up. And that's a lesson I'll obviously never forget. If you made the mess, you got to clean it up. Yeah, man. And this touches on what I am seeing today, especially as like, as I, you know, I've got so many people I comment on my stuff on Instagram. It is a hoot. Like it is one of the favorite things It used to really like bother me because I was like, oh no, everyone's thinking I'm stupid. Now I'm like, oh no, this is good. If people are attacking me. I like to get in a fight. Yeah. I like to get in a fight on Instagram. (laughs) It makes me, makes me feel alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that's sort of like where I'm trying to go with it now. And I see people who are like, well, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I've been abused, or this has happened to me. And like, don't you know that God loves me more than he loves, you know, the sanctity of marriage? Like, he just, he said that, yes, but he actually loves me more. So like, I've heard this from a lot of non-believers. Obviously, you expect that from, even from believers yeah. who are like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, my mine is different, and he loves me so much, you wouldn't want me to suffer in this situation. So like, I'm just going to do it my way, because I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit's telling me that. It's like, <laughs> actually, no, what, what does the Bible say? It's very clear. For instance, there's one about a marriage. It's like, you know, abuse in marriage. It's obviously terrible. And I don't want that to ever happen. It's not, you're not being a good Christian if that is your marriage. But are you called to leave that because of that? Well, Jesus is very clear. That's not, yeah, that's a that tough doesn't one. lead to, you know, whatever. So that's, like you said, it's a tough one, but we're we looking have to define at people. Love. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at people who are like, dude, no, this doesn't apply to me because I'm special. And I think I read a little bit of that in your book, too. You, you talk about, like, specialness, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> I, think that's, I, think that's, I think that's the most important thing my generation and the next generation needs to hear is you're actually not that special. Um, and you're unique. And you have a unique gifting. You have in, unique talents. And you have a unique ability. But the reality is when it comes to pain – specifically to pain and abuse, you're not unique and special. Um, you you have a perspective on your pain um, that it's actually detrimental to you. Whereas most 
people that succeed in life in this aspect, and I'm talking about success on the family level. I'm talking about success as um, finding true joy in life, real happiness in life. Um, they've taken their pain and they said, you know what I'm going to do with this? I'm going to turn it right on its head and I'm going to use this against evil. And they define evil in their life and they turn that pain into something that's actually beautiful. It's like tur- it's turning the literal manure of your life into a garden. It's turning it completely around. The garbage in your life can be something better. And when people say, oh, God loves me more than X, Y, Z, he wants me to be happy. It actually never says that in the Bible. He wants you to be obedient so that your joy is full and joy is completely different. And when he talks about love, he talks about love in a context that we can't even understand because we've ruined it so much. Love is laying your life down. And that's what men need to realize every single day that you wake up, when it comes to your wife, when it comes to your children, when it comes to the people that you can possibly be mentoring in your life, your call is to die for them. Your call is to have them stand on your shoulders. Um, And that's what every hero in every story does. Read even some of the good old Greek myths. Like they're, they're having people stand on their shoulders on their sacrifice. They're growing out of their death. And I think it's one of those things that, um, that men need to realize is that dying is actually love to people. It's like, you know what? That little thing that my wife does that's driving me crazy. Um, (laughs) it's grinding my gears. Like I just need to die. Like after a few years, you're like, you're bothered about how they chew their food, right? And you're like, you know what? <laughs> Now's a good time to die. And it seems silly, but if you're already bitter towards them, that kind of stuff can build up and cause separation in your life. Um, so for me, um, that's kind of the biggest thing. The definition of love is a huge passion of mine because a lot of people just, obviously the whole love is love movement, the whole LGBTQ AI movement um, or cult as it has become, um, has thrown it around and thrown it in the trash, and the church is the church is responsible for that because we haven't defined it well. Mm, man, that's in my interesting. opinion, yeah, no, that's a, a very interesting take, and I feel like that's um, you talk about holding ground, right? Like I think in the family specifically, you said like hold your ground, or it might have been on Instagram. I can't remember if it was book or Instagram, but it's fine. That, it'll eventually become some kind of book at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> that, like that is so important for the battle, I think, because here's a couple of things I want to tie together. You've got the definition of love, and right. that is so defined by you know the Bible and what Christ says love is, and we're supposed to die to self. We are right. supposed to love our wife as Christ loved the church. Well, what did he do for us? Literally laid Died. his life down. And there he also is no came back gr- from the dead, which is important. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very important part of it, yes. But there's also like the part where um oh man, I, like what is it? The like no greater love has man than this than to lay yep. down his life for his, his friends. For yep. his friends, exactly. Yep. And so you've got this. There's a definition of love, there's definition, there's there's like forward movement in the so-called battle. And I want right. to frame it as a battle because I don't yep. think there is any room for neutral left. Even 10 years ago, you could be a so-called libertarian and be like, yeah. look, you know, they're just going to do what they're going to do as long as it doesn't impact me. But dude, they are coming for you and your children, whether you yep. like it or not. There is no neutral left. You are either on the side of good or you're the side of evil and they're going to take you over if you're just being a passenger. And so I think this whole thing, like standing your ground in your home as a father is fundamental to what it means to being a man. And I wonder if that, like, maybe let's just riff on that for a bit. What do you mean standing ground? How do you do that as a man in today's world where everyone's against you? Well, put your money where your mouth is, I think is the first thing. We had this huge explosion in the United States. I don't know if it's happening in in, uh, Canada right now or not, where you guys are, but right now in the United States, it's the huge thing with Target. Right. Oh, dude, this, the, we've went down this path like ten years ago. We're we're okay. so dead in it, <laughs> so ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think uh, what my perspective is is that most men, uh, most people, um, aren't first of all as important as they think, but second of all, you're more important than you think at home. 
You're irreplaceable at home. You're irreplaceable in your family. So when I talk about standing your ground, we have some great schools here where I am in North Carolina. Like they're super patriotic. They were wearing masks for like one week before all the parents had a complete meltdown and overran the school board. Like all that kind of stuff happens. They have the big 4th of July parade. So it's like as far as public schools are concerned in the United States, you know, sitting pretty. But for us, um, what they were teaching just wouldn't line up with our core values long term. It didn't line up with where we were aiming. It didn't line up with us as a mission for our family. So standing our ground meant homeschooling three kids when both of us are full time. It looks like a complete transition to a different way of life. What we need to do um, if we're going to hold our ground is almost build a parallel society. That's my big thing right now. We build a parallel society with our families. Wow. Why is your marriage working? Why are you guys still together? Why is your sex life working and mine isn't? Why is sleeping around not, not working and making me feel empty? Why is my job not fulfilling? It's like because because you don't have anywhere to actually stand. You haven't defined your life in a way where you can say this far and no further. Don't come any closer. Don't touch my kids. You have no ground to stand on here. It's my family and I'm in charge here. And we've given away our kids to a society that doesn't care about them. They're seen as tools in a machine. And if you want your kids to be tools in a machine, go ahead. You know, you may have a psychological disorder, but giving your kids away to a machine like that is is tantamount to sacrificing your children for your own comfort. What we have to realize is that as fathers especially, laying down our lives right now gives our children an opportunity to still live in a free society, to still live in a society where they can pursue what they want to pursue. And I think John Adams said it really well, but I'm going to paraphrase. He's like, I'm going to study war so my children can study politics and art. And I think for us, it's a time to study war. What does the war look like? It's a war of words, first of all, and it's a war of action. So stand your ground. Open your mouth when it's time to open your mouth. Elect local officials that actually matter because politics ends up being all local in the end. Make a difference where you can actually make a difference. And that means spending time with your kids, showing them how to live. That means loving your wife, setting an example. And it happens so often with, with our kids in different circles. It'll happen with yours too. When they're raised right, they're like, your kids are awesome. They're amazing to be around. And it seems like you really love your wife after, you know, this is our 10-year anniversary coming up in September. After 10 years, we're more in love with each other than we've ever been before. And that's what really matters in the end. And people don't realize that right now because they're chasing paganism, they're chasing a broken system, they're chasing humanism. And if you can show them, show them, not just talk about it, but show them that's how you hold your ground. And if violence comes, it comes. I hope it doesn't come. But in that case, then stand your ground in the same way, at least um, in the United States, we still retain the ability to do that. So you're welcome at my home anytime. If, if, <laughs> Thank if you. things go boogaloo, you're welcome to come down anytime. Man, and do we'll you know, stand our ground together. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. I went through, I don't even want to get into it because people are going to think I'm nuts with why we were planning in case everything went south here. Um, but we don't live that far from the border. So we were just going to, you know, find our way across somehow. Uh, anyway, there's some crazy stuff going on here. And uh, yeah, I heard about the target thing. What a time to be alive though. What an amazing opportunity. I mean, I think some men in some societies pray for a time like this where evil is right? out in the open, right? Evil is wide out in the open. And my dad served in Vietnam. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that America won the Tet Offensive. We pushed them back and they had huge losses on the North Vietnamese side. Because before that, they were fighting a smart war against an overpowering enemy. They were hiding, moving, sticking and moving constantly. But when they came to full confrontation and the enemy was out in the open, the U.S. troops were built for that. Our whole system is built for that. So when it comes to Christianity, the church, standing your ground, even if you have Judeo-Christian values in general, and you're like, yeah, maybe mutilating children is the wrong thing to do, which is like if you're a normal human being with a soul— yeah. <laughs> then you realize that that's the wrong thing to do. Standing your ground looks like, wow, the enemy's really out in the open. How do we stop this as soon as possible? And use whatever power you have to stop it because your children and your children's children actually depend on you doing it right now. War is upon you. It's one of my favorite lines from Lord of the Rings. When he talks, he's talking... <laughs> 
Aragon is talking to what's his name? I'm forgetting right now. The the king of the horse people, <laughs> whatever his name is. Oh yeah, we do. We were just watching that. It's like <laughs> yeah, the yeah. first time in years, so I don't know the guy's name, but I understand. Yeah, but Theoden, Theoden, he's talking to Theoden. Right. He's like, we're going to decide if we go to war, and Aragorn's like, no, war's upon you, and that's what a lot of men need to realize. It's whether you like it or not, the bullets are flying, so you might as well get in the fight. Oof, dude, that <laughs> that makes me want to get into. Yeah, it makes me want to like push even harder because that is so true, and I don't think that a lot of us are willing to look at that even because now it becomes literally like a worldwide offensive, it seems, and a spiritual wide, like a, a literally entirely like covering of all things you know. It's not local anymore when it's yeah. the principalities that are coming yep. at you, and I think it points to just how true. All of this is how right we are, because look around the world, what's being attacked. It's only this. It's only goodness. It's only Christ. It's only Judeo-Christian values. Like you said, people aren't over in the Middle East fighting specifically. It's like, look, they have the same Abrahamic religion or whatever, but like, why is it just us? And it's because the West has something different and it's built on Christ. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is look around you, what's being attacked. That's probably the real thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be being attacked. And this is one of the things that I really like understood looking into this, like, oh, it's real because everyone's against it. And that right. was so important for Isn't that me. that funny? Yeah. And, and to pick up like that, that burden of war, in a sense, and to realize um, a couple of things. Number one, even if, you know, violence comes, we win. Like, yep. you know, Christ, Christ is Lord, <laughs> whether or not you want to admit that you will bend the knee one day. And that's very hopeful. But also, we've been placed here for this specific point in, t- in history. Yes. And I think that, for me, was very uh, inspirational because my wife goes, man, well, what about what about the kids? I don't want them to suffer. I'm like, look, I pulled out that quote. I don't know who said it. But it's, um, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to raise dragon slayers in times of dragons. So we're yeah. here for this reason that we must take a stand, like you said, on being strong men. How else are you guys doing that? Because we also do the same thing with homeschool. We got four under 10, two of them are schooled, you know, next (laughs) one's coming up. But the school that we moved like literally uh, 30 seconds from, I can see it out Mm. my window. They were going there. It was a great school, so to speak. They have got like those flags, the rainbow and triangle, whatever things on the kindergarten windows, kindergarten. And I'm like, thank the Lord that we took them out of there because who knows what they're doing inside the classrooms. But like, how else are you putting your money where your mouth is? It's speaking out. It's writing books. It's living a good life. It's loving your wife. It's taking yeah. your kids out. What are the other practical things? And maybe this even oh. goes into habits and disciplines. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that's right where I was going to go. So we're reading each that's other's it. minds. I think perfectly, perfectly suits this time and age. A soldier is well disciplined and he doesn't box the air. Paul the Apostle says, we don't, we don't run a race without aim. We, we run in our lane, run according to the rules that God has actually set out for us and live a well-ordered life. And for me, um, as soon as the newborn phase started, um, it was a 4 a.m. wake up for me. Uh, 4 a.m. wake up before the sun comes up, being in the Word, praying, and then working out before my family even wakes up. So by the time 6.30 rolls around, I'm ready to serve. Um, I'm ready to be the servant of my household, um, and and I serve by leading. I don't want people to misread that Let's saying, go. like, let everything slack off in your house and do everything around your house, and that's your job. What serving looks like uh, for men in their household is actually leading their family well. Um, and one thing a minister said to me that was really, really important was your wife is going to be your best disciple. And I know that sounds um, out of the ordinary in our society, but the reality is she is watching you. She is watching whether or not you do what you say you're going to do. Um, I just finished uh, 75 Hard on Friday, um, and she saw me out in the gym at 9 p.m. after we put the kids to sleep, up the next morning at 4 in the morning, doing it twice a day. We're going to some of the nicest restaurants across the country with our like traveling ministry, and she really wants me to try this bread. And I'm like, sorry, no bread. It's just not happening. And she's literally irate. But, but, but here's the thing. She would rather, in the end, the long game is she would rather watch me do what I say than give in to something like that because it actually makes her feel safe 
in the decisions that I'm making going forward. And we've started a church here in North Carolina and not backing down on the culture, not backing down on what the word actually says and living a well-ordered life. And when it comes to the home itself, even how I fix my bed, how I sweep a floor, it's one of the main things my dad said to me when I was a kid, if you can sleep, sweep a floor well, you can do anything well. And it, it translates to so many other things. Um, and watching my kids, I think, and not just watching them, like looking after them, but I see myself in them and they copy what I do. I'll tell them all day long. And it's the same thing with the people I lead in the church and ministry. Like you can go preach a good message and it, everyone preaches, by the way, everyone talks. You can go preach a good message. And if you're not doing it, nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's why society's looking up to guys like Jocko Willink and and all kinds of random dudes that are online saying, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. They're latching on to anybody that's doing something. So do something. Um, and as far as disciplines are concerned, that is my life. And that's what this book is about. It's about ordering your life in a way that produces good things, that produces what we'd call fruit. Um, that you can actually eat and your family lives off of. So that's where it starts for me. It starts in the early morning. And I think there's something about it, man. I know some guys do it in the evening or whatever, but there's something about the morning, waking up before my family and being ready for them as opposed to letting life take me. I'm in, I've got my hands on the handles of my life. Um, and that's what discipline um, has done for me, and it feeds the passion of my life. So that's one of the things that I do um, in our household. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we've built around it. We take communion together every night. We have a chore chart for our kids. We're teaching them how to handle money. We're teaching them, hey, you don't do what everyone else does. This is how we roll in our family. We have a, a family motto, obedience is success. Um, it doesn't matter what the outcome looks like. You always do the right thing. The outcome is the long game. It's not right now. It's not the next minute. Obedience is success. So doing what the word actually says on a daily basis and not worrying about the outcome, leaving that to God, leaving the things that you can't control to him. And I almost like, I almost want a tattoo without it being cheesy that says obedience is success, like put it over our door, you know, um, because it's really guided our whole life. It's guided us selling everything and moving three times. Um, it's guided starting this church. It's it's guided how we raise our children because that's what Jesus did. Is he was he was a servant. He came to serve, and he was obedient to the point of death. And that's what we're aiming for. Because if I can do that every day, then when the time comes, I'm already used to it, and you don't have anything to be afraid of at that point. <laughs> right. Oh, I I, uh, I can't help but wonder if we are actually the same person, and we don't know it yet, uh, because your daily schedule is exactly the same as mine. These are all things that we do as well, and I'm just like, yeah, man, it, it's rare. It's so rare yeah. because when you're out operating in the world, you do get the looks and you get the questions and you get the, yep. what, like, what are you guys doing? Why do your children do this? Why are they, you so like successful? Why do you love each other so much? Because you get everyone else who's complaining about their spouse. You get the kids running wild with no boundaries. You get like no obedience at all. And there's no long-term <laughs> thinking. And man, like we're, we've got, um, you know, in terms of finances, we've got our kids breaking down their money into different buckets. And we yep, talk about we that. The and we exact get the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we're the same person. Uh, like the other day, uh, my wife was like, uh, oh, I'm reading through Exodus to the family right now. And we're getting to the Ten Commandments. And that's another thing. By the way, as a, as a leader of your family, I think you should be the spiritual leader of your family, which means oh, yeah. bringing the Bible to them. Because I know my wife doesn't have all the time in the world to sit down and do that, even though I encourage her in that. Um, she's got four kids, homeschooled, with a baby, all the rest of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to read the word to you, actually. And my kids get that too. So we read a chapter every night before bed. Uh, we just did the Ten Commandments and she was like, hey, I saw this somewhere and taught the kids for homeschool the Ten Commandments using like fingers to, I don't know, some <laughs> some sort of like the first one. Some teacher you know, trick. Yeah, exactly. Some <laughs> teacher trick on like using the fingers to learn the Ten Commandments. And it's so freaking awesome to do things like that because they are like head and shoulders above their peers. And I mean yeah. like physically because we feed them, you know, meat and butter and cheese and like actual food. <laughs> but also in terms of like they can hardly interact with kids their age anymore because yeah. they're like, Hey, I, I don't wear sweatpants. I don't, I've never played video games. Um, I don't really watch TV and I read like, you know, books that adults read. What do we have in common? And there's a burden 
on a father to raise his children like that because it's lonely. And that I think I've been just thinking lately the last little while, there is an element of isolation that you must combat when you have a family like this because it is rare, even though it is just objectively right. And I wonder if you've come across that too and how you found brotherhood or community and whether or not that's even important. Yeah, I think what draws real community when it comes to men, if you're having a problem with this, is an overall vision. Um, If you ever take a look at how men actually spend time together, it's usually side by side. Um, Circling men up and having them look in the eye with each other feels a lot like counseling, and men will avoid it like the plague. So when it comes to actually getting together, um, I've got this little Thursday morning gathering we do with men in our church. It's called the Church of Iron. They come at 5 a.m., and we work out together in my home gym that I built downstairs. And a lot of real conversations happen there. A lot of transformation happens there because you're doing something neutral. So when it comes to getting to know other men, I think one of the biggest things that we need to do is get a life and have a hobby and do something important and that fixates our attention. I don't care what it is, um, as long as it's a positive thing, but if you want to get to know other people that are disciplined, other people that are raising their kids the way you're raising your kids, do things that have a broader picture, a broader vision, and a broader war. The closest people together in the whole world, the closest male relationships in the world, are men that go to war together. Why? They don't like join the Marines thinking, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to make some really good friends and I'm so excited to make some really good friends, right? I just yeah. can't wait <laughs> to have my buddies. <laughs> like yeah. they end up with close relationships because they have a common mission, a common purpose, and they're willing to die for each other. And if you can find that, you know, even in yourself, um, well, it's going to be outside of yourself, to be honest. But if you find it outside of yourself, that bigger vision, you'll find that other people are actually attracted to that. So if you don't have, don't be a victim. Again, if, you, oh, I'm so isolated, I'm the only one doing this. No, you're not. What you haven't done is led. And that was one of the reasons that we started a church out here is because I was just scratching my itch. I was like, you know what? I want some people that are on the same mission, that are full of fire, that are full of faith, that are that are resolute. I want men around me that are full of life and vitality, raising families in the same age and stage as I'm at. So you know what? I'm going to start a church. I'm going to put up the flag and say, anyone that wants to come over here and do this with us, come do it with me. So if you don't have a group like that, lead one, and you'll find actually more fulfillment in serving those men than saying, oh, I need guys to support me. Look, you're never going to find complete fulfillment in that. Like, and that's like what, that's what children do. That's a daddy issue, just so you know. So deal with the daddy issue, get out there and lead, and other men will be magnetized toward that vision. My wife knows this rule now, like long road trips are where she gets at me because I'm not staring her in the face because men, psychologically, when you're looking them in the eye, and this is, if any wives are listening to this right now, I want to give you a key to communicating with your husband. Looking him in the eye is actually a challenge and his heart rate goes up. So if you get a chance to talk to him, do something neutral with him, go on a walk with him, go on a long drive with him. The only time I like really cry in front of my wife or get to the deepest personal meaning of my life or we plan for the future is when I'm driving because I'm doing something else. I don't feel like I'm trapped in a conversation, right? Um, so, So for those of us that are men listening to this podcast right now, I would say start something awesome and neutral. Um, that you can do together and pick up a hobby that is leans masculine. I mean, yep. hunting trips for me have been a huge boon. I, I've gone hunting with other pastors in Western Montana. If you don't have the money for something like that, if you're on a budget, you know, it doesn't even matter. Start a yard game thing or, or a kickball club. It literally doesn't matter. Dudes are looking for some level of connection and they'll do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So lead the way. Man, okay. Well, this is... Uh... You know, maybe you're speaking to me here. I was uh, I was meeting with my pastor the other day for uh, a dedication for my baby, oh, and awesome. uh, I was like, "Hey, by the way, is there a dad's ministry? Because I've got dad work. This is like an online thing. They're about to be one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, "Well, no, but why don't you start one?" And I was like, "Oh, right. That's what I should do because the same sort of thing. I've got a guy in our in our group, one of the men in our group. Uh, he is looking to create like a, a Bibles and barbell club, and I'm like, that's mm-hmm. the greatest idea ever. And he's like, maybe I should just invite guys to my home, which is exactly what you." 
you just said. And I've been thinking about building a home gym in my garage. And I'm like, maybe I'll just do the same thing. And it's so a great it's way about to write it off, leadership. Man. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't even think about that. Thank Business. you very much, uh, accountant, uh, tax lawyer. As I'm sure you're not. Uh, anyway, uh, man, yeah, that's awesome. And I love the leadership aspect because so many guys. Like they're not willing to lead until they see other men do it. And that's not that courageous. I think you should just lead because like, if you're the last man on earth and you just stand up to evil, good for you. Uh, Suffering Mm -hmm. is like commendable, I think. And I think that at least we're having these conversations. So maybe the guy who's like been beaten down by the culture, maybe he's been beaten down in the workplace. He's like, well, nobody else is doing this. Maybe you can now actually take that and run with it. Maybe you can get that courage. Maybe you can see that like, you're going to have to be the guy who does the thing. Cause if you don't and nobody else does, you're going to live a life of regret. And can you imagine <laughs> living a life of regret? Like I've just been such a, like an action bias in my life when people are like, oh, what do you regret? I'm like, what, what is regret? <laughs> like, I'm just going to do the thing because it would feel terrible. And I had a guest last week, uh, Ben Barker. So I can't imagine being 84 and going like, well, what if? Like, oh, yeah. man, what a gut wow. punch. Just do the thing. I don't know. Like, I assume this is, no, I'm not even going to ask you the question. You're obviously action biased. But have you worked with guys like in ministry or in brotherhood who are not action biased, who you're like, just do the thing, bro. And how do you get men off the X to actually do something other than just like show them the way yeah. and lead like you said? Yeah, pain and fear is the first motivation for most people. Unfortunately, that's how most of it happens. So I, I would ask the question, um, like you just mentioned, and this is the vision I have for my life. What do you see as an old man? Like sit down in your big leather chair. What do you see happening around you? When you're 85 years old, you know, you're in the sunset of your life in some way, shape or form, judging if you make it to 85, whatever that looks like. What do you see around you? And for me, what I see is a house full of family, a house that I own, a house in the mountains where everyone has come out. My extended family has come out to celebrate Christmas with us, and I'm providing for everything. Um, providing rooms, taking care of them. I'm seeing little children. I'm seeing my grown children. I'm down to the second, or if I'm really lucky, like Job, like third generation, right? Get really old and get to see great, great grandbabies, right? Great grandbabies. Um, and what motivates me when I wake up in the morning is that picture in my heart and that picture in my mind of an extended family. Now, if you don't have a picture like that in your heart and in your mind, your motivation is what's happening to you right now. And to move people toward an action bias, like you're saying, to move people toward spiritual disciplines, what they need to realize is that discipline is the way toward what they actually want. And doing what they're doing right now isn't working. So waking up people, waking up men especially, to the idea that what they're doing right now is happening to them and motivating them to the point in the positive aspect where you can actually have to a degree what you want without unexpected things happen, tragedy happens, don't get me wrong. But the aim is what creates the discipline. Disciplines don't create discipline on their own. It's like what you're aiming for actually produces discipline. Um, it's like, like working out. It's not just working out for me. It's being and having the ability to produce extreme violence in a moment if I need to. And being strong enough to carry all three of my kids upstairs to bed because I don't know how long that's actually going to last. And them thinking dad is strong and them feeling like they're safe. It's not just exercise. It's not aesthetics for me anymore. It's a performance issue. So for me, um, things like that, I think, move people towards a bias and walking them through their life up to this point and saying, look, what are the things you regret like you were talking about and how could that have changed? Now, let's imagine you have the ability not to completely control your future, but at least control some of the outcomes in your future. What would you do right now? And about it's a 50-50 take, to be honest. I get about half the guys jump right in, half the guys just aren't going to move. And it's so much easier to move a, move a steering car. I've learned that in discipleship, which is kind of like mentoring in the Christian world. Um, if they're not already moving a direction... Uh, it's really hard to get them going. That's why you see like drug addicts and people that had messed up lives or they're, they're separated from their wives and their life is falling apart. Like crazy people, they turn around real quickly because the car's already moving at a breakneck speed. So all they need to do is turn it around. They know how to, they know how to act already. Yep. It's just giving them the right actions. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I never thought about it like that, but that's actually a perfect <laughs> metaphor, man. And it's so much easier if you're just doing something, even if it's the wrong thing now, you can find the right thing. But if you're just contemplating like, I don't know, man, like I got this plan, but it might be scary. I might not win. I might not work. I'll just think about it some more. And then you never get off the X and then the years go by. Yeah. They don't It'll stop never going perfect. by. Yeah. Your kids don't get any younger. One day they'll leave the home and what are you going to le- be left with? Oh no, I never actually did anything with the kids. Oh no, my wife is now gone because I didn't show up. Like these are the actual regrets. As a father, you literally will lose everything if you don't take action now. And this is what I try and get guys on all the time. As a man, you can put it off. Well, I didn't want kids anyway. As a freaking dad, man, there is no excuse not to take action because you will literally lose everything because every single day is a moment closer to when they leave and your influence goes away. And they, when they become adults, get to choose whether you're in their life or not. Do you want to be the parent who sees, maybe hears from them on Christmas once per year because they call you? Like, Hmm. oh my goodness. If we weren't already the same person, I have the exact same goal, by the way. That is my vision. That is my long <laughs> yeah, term. Mine's awesome. not Christmas. Let's do it I... together. <laughs> let's uh, let's get a cabin in Alberta. Friends? Let's go. Hey, man. <laughs> Alberta Trudeau reference. You might as well be Canadian already. Uh, but dude, like, mine is not Christmas because I hate the cold. Mine's like, well, I on think the it's playing chip. offense. You know what I mean? It's like yep. what you're talking about is playing offense and stop, stop playing defense in your life. You've got the ball. You've been given the ball. You are in charge of your life to to a great degree. So pick up the ball and run with it. Um, and I think that's the issue with the church. That's the issue that we've had with family. We keep playing defense. Please don't pass this law. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Instead of saying, no, this is how it's going to be, and we're going to actually take ground from you. Like imagine indoctrinating kids to be Christians in public schools, how much people would freak out. Yeah. Like, and not telling parents. Or at least, you know, we're, yeah. oh, we, we baptized your children, we baptized the whole <laughs> class this week. Let's go. Like how much liberals would fly off the handle. Yeah. And we're like, you know what? You, you can teach them this. It's just play. You know what? They're, they're going to figure it out. It's like, no, they're not. That's eight hours a day, five days a week. It's more time than they have with you. Yep. And they're parenting your kids for you. They're indoctrinating your kids for you. You need to indoctrinate children. I know it's a bad thing to say, like that word indoctrination. But the reality is we need to learn to teach our kids how to live in a completely different way and play offense with them, play offense with society, play offense in the workplace, play offense everywhere we go. Always be the buyer, not the seller. It puts you in an advantage, advantageous position. It's like you're not desperate for it, but I'm going to win. Yeah. In the end, we're going to win. <laughs> Man, I, the uh, the word that I used the other day was brainwash. And I was like, yeah, I do. Yep. I actually do want to brainwash them because yeah. if I don't, you will. And yep. yeah, you can call it brainwashing and make it sensational for the clicks or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's here's the worldview. And why wouldn't you as a parent want to pass that on to your kids unless you don't think it's right? And if you're not doing that actively, like you say, taking the offense, I like think a lot of men think they've been neutered. And they haven't actually looked down to realize they haven't. Like there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's everyone's against you. And, and what you said about like the offense, the attack, I've often thought, and look, I'm a new Christian. I'm like a year and a month into it. And so I keep waiting for the day where I'm like, uh, this isn't like that exciting anymore. I am so lit up by this. And for anyone who's not yeah. lit up by this, actually, I read it in your book. You're like, how could people not read the Bible every day? Like, are you kidding me? It's literally everything you need to know. <laughs> I feel the same way. And when people come at me and they scoff, like, you believe in Sky Daddy? What we should do instead, which is like the stupidest thing to say to someone, by the way, like you're not smart. (laughs) Um, The thing that I think Christians need to do instead, and fathers, we need to be the ones scoffing. And I don't mean that in like a negative, hurtful, whatever way, bring the compassion, bring love, bring mercy and grace and all the rest of it. But why aren't we scoffing and going like, you don't believe this? Like, are you kidding me? Are you really? Yeah, how's that working out for you? Yeah, exactly. Why don't we bring the scoffing energy that the world brings to us and start pushing back? And I think people don't know what to do. As soon as you put truth and ask them to defend their so-called position, they just break down and either start screaming with a megaphone or go, I'm just going to have to get back to you. And so like, you will win if you stand up for good. And people don't, like men, look down. You've still got your balls, I think. Still there. Yeah. (laughs) Grab onto them if you have to. Exactly. Just just coddle them for a moment so you know that they're still there. Yeah. Like, this is what we're designed for. And I love, like, I'm going to go back to this uh, war analogy 
Because that's what you need to do. Stand up and get your rifle, get whatever weapons you have been given, whatever gifts. And I was just reading through, um, it might have been First Peter yesterday, where he talks about, um, you know, your gifts are administering God's grace. That is mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Use those to give people God's grace through you. Like, that's so amazing. But it takes you acting and putting yourself yeah. out there. Yep. And that's what this all comes down to. Man, I'm just like... Well, it's actually, it's actually God's favorite name for himself in the Bible, is Lord of Hosts which means Lord of Angel Armies, what we need to realize as men specifically is that God is at war. And we're as instruments of war. We're like tools in his hands for war. Like we're like the reaper, right? Like we're the ones doing the work while we're the church militant here on earth. We're on offense completely, right? So all the titles given to Jesus, the Alpha and the the Omega, the one that holds the keys to death in Hades, the one that's conquered the grave, all those things is a God that's at war. Um, and too often we see the Jesus um, pictured as mild-mannered when we have in the book of Revelation, Jesus riding on a horse drenched in the blood of his enemies with a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have to realize that we're at war against evil and demonic forces in this world. And if you don't believe in that while you're listening to this podcast, you tell me for one second, that mutilating children, abusing children, that sex trafficking itself and the evil people go through isn't some form of demonic activity. The shadow proves the sunshine, so to speak, right? What you see, what you see is actually outside forces working through human beings in order to bring evil to earth. And what you need to realize is that God himself is at war against these forces And he's not so much depending on you, but commanding you to keep going forward and get on offense and let evil be evil. Because we've been so soft and so squishy for so many years that we don't have that aspect in our minds that, oh, evil is actually encroaching on us and they don't care if they're kids. Like, he's not going to fight fair. This aspect of evil is not going to fight fair. So we need to learn that we need to get in the dirt a little bit too and fight fight like we haven't ever fought before because everything is actually at stake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think like, there's a lot of this. I'm, I'm trying to think about it, like how inside baseball, cause this is, I, I would say like, yeah, when yeah. I started this podcast, <laughs> I was not at all talking about this stuff. Let me just say that. And so I know that I have, well, you got a pastor on here now. So <laughs> well, yeah, I, <laughs> man, we've had, we've had a lot of good, good people on here that have been talking about this kind of stuff, but it's really changed. So I'm just, I know we, I would never have been, confronted to go looking for the truth if I didn't hear this stuff, though. And I remember, man, the first time I went to church, uh, we went with a couple friends of ours. We're like, ah, can we go to church? I've been looking at this Bible for the last little while. Maybe we'll just go look. And the message was about the lake of fire. And my friends were like, oh, no. Like, oh, no. His first time, they're talking about the lake of fire. He's probably going to think we're nuts. And I said, no, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I needed somebody to say truth because no one will. And I think this goes back to what you were saying about standing up. As men, as leading, as men, if you're willing to take a stand for truth, people are so longing for that, for something to be real that you don't even understand how many people are longing and just not willing to take action on that because you haven't stood up and done it. And so if you're scared, if you're letting anyone else raise your children, if you're letting anyone else disciple your children, you have to understand that that's what school's doing. That's what daycare is doing. That's what all of these things are doing. Like, man, this is just, we're beating a dead horse now, but I'm so fired up. I just like can't do anything but keep beating this horse. Well, even Um, if you're outside the aspect or the circle of like a Bible-believing faith, like we're talking about, I think it's important to recognize evil for what it is and call it what it is and in your space, in whatever sphere you're in, to stand up against it and call evil evil. Um, and that's a good starting place for anything and taking action. Um, I know we're talking like a tiny bit of inside baseball, like you're saying, Kurt, but um, one of the best things that a biblical worldview gives you is that there is evil in the world and it is meant to be conquered and things aren't meant to be as they are. And I think every single person knows that deep in their hearts, like this is not how things are supposed to be, but how do you affect change personally? How do you change in your family and add order to your family where there's chaos? How do you add love where there's hate? How do you add goodness where there's evil? Find ways to do it uh, wherever you're at in life. 
Yeah. Let me just close this out with sort of a, a personal question on how you feel day to day going through this. Because everything we just talked about can be very heavy to the person who's like, yeah. bro, demons? Like, wh- what? Do we worry about this? <laughs> so, like, I know that there have been moments yeah, along culture the way. shock. <laughs> right? For me, like, even through the last few years, because things went nuts up here during, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it. The, the COVID the con- response is what I call it. Let's call it that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like that was shocking in a way that really solidified everything I thought I knew and led to me here today. But I lived in fear for a while before I knew Christ. And in that time when everything seemed against me and nowadays I don't, I don't have this mm. day-to-day fear. I have this certainty, even though yeah. I am more worried about the state of the world than ever before. Yeah. Do you go through the day thinking about all this stuff on the front lines, really, as a, as a pastor? And like, do you have relief from this? And I want to just close this out with maybe that message of hope, because I know what the answer is. And I wonder how we can impart a little bit of that hope to the guys listening. Yeah, I think... Um... For me, uh, first of all, I have to realize that there's always been evil in the world, um, that there will be evil um, and it needs to be confronted. Um, and just like anybody else, I can get down the deepest, darkest rabbit hole of like, it's all hopeless. It's all falling apart. Rome is burning and I'm watching. Um, but here's an interesting fact. So in the UK, um, in England, during World War II, during the Blitz, the whole the whole place is getting bombed to hell, right? The Germans are bombing the crap out of London. And there, there are tons of men meeting with psychologists with depression, with all kinds of issues. They can't get off their butts. They don't know what to do with their lives. But as soon as the city started to burn, psychologists were looking for clients. The men were out on the streets putting out fires. They're putting buildings back together. They're rescuing people from rubble. They're working with emergency services. They're on a they're on a 20 millimeter trying to shoot down dive bombers. They're doing something, right? And the difference between male depression and female depression is huge here because men want to fee- feel useful and strong and effective. And the issue that you're having right now with looking at the world, if you're listening to this and you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling like it's too heavy, you're feeling like it's too difficult, you'll realize you're more invulnerable than you actually think when you find a purpose in rescuing others, in helping others, in taking care of others, in feeding others. And when it all gets way too crazy, What I do is I literally look at my kids and I look at my wife and I say, if everything else goes to hell in a handbasket, at least here I can affect the most possible change. And if it goes to hell in a handbasket and everything burns, if one of my kids lives on to procreate, (laughs) right, and the family line keeps going, right, then for me, that's the reward. It's a generational reward. And I think all men need to be thinking like patriarchs. We need to be thinking like we're starting a family line. And if you have family curses, which would be bad family habits, things like that, you say it stops with me. And from here on out, this family will be completely different than the world around it. And that's what actually gives me hope because when I read real stories of transformation in society, it happens Little by little by little by little by little. So pick up your fire hose, pick up your gun, do your part, get out of the psychologist's seat and talking about your problems and Amen. deal with those problems and other people. And you'll find that the problems that you have go away really, really quickly. Get focused on the fight and the problems will go away. Remarkable. Man, my buddy Jonathan Rios is on this podcast. He said, men need to build, battle, and quest. And that's exactly what you just said. It's almost as though... It's true. So if you don't have <laughs> if you don't have that in your life, then freaking well go find one. And you know what? The thing I'm just gonna share very briefly, the thing that gives me hope in these days, as I read through, especially the Old Testament, I'm like God, what are you doing? Like, why are you hardening Pharaoh's heart? Like, you could just make them free. What are you doing? And I'm questioning, I'm questioning. And all throughout, I'm like, oh, God operates and is glorified through pressure cookers. Like, he turns up the heat. And he's like, no, I'm I'm actually going to harden your heart more so that the nations can see my glory. 
And you're like, yeah. wow, okay, so things look to me very pressure cookery right now. So I'm like, <laughs> God, you're about to be glorified. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Let's go. So anyway, that's that brings me so much hope and joy and just obviously the promise of eternal life with Christ. I mean, can't beat that. That was one of those yeah. things that... I didn't even realize. I was like, I got to find truth. And one day, a couple weeks after being a believer, I was reading my Bible. I was like, eternal life? Like, sweet. I didn't even know that. You die, you win. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, there's a whole other conversation on dying to self. That's something that hit me like a bag of bricks uh, the last couple weeks. But we'll have to do it another time. Man, thank you so much for all of this. This has been extremely edifying to me. Where do you want to send people to get the book, to follow you, wherever you are doing things? Yeah, my uh, Instagram handle is Parker Richard Green, Parker Richard Green. And you can pick up my book if you want it before it releases you can go to the greens.co the greens.co um, it's obviously available on pre-order on amazon as well um, but we got a pallet of books here for early release if you want to grab that book it will definitely improve your life i'm super proud of it um, and uh, it's things that i've actually been living over the last 10 years so it's not just fluff um, it's concrete it's a quick read and it'll help you a lot yeah, I would just throw my weight behind that because within the first couple chapters, like I said, there are so many things that like are direct refutations of weakness and things that most people who, you know, are wanting to make friends don't say. And I was like, oh, therefore it's right. <laughs> like there was so much, just so much weight behind the things that it started off with. And I just read through everything, but the last bit on uh, parents here, which can only be extremely triggering, I imagine. And uh, I think there's another one in here as well. Uh, Endurance is the last chapter. So anyway, I got the book. I'm reading it. It's awesome. Go pick it up. Parker, thank you so much for all of this, man. And uh, we'll put all that in the show notes, dad.work slash podcast. Guys, listen up, leave a review. Thanks for following. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Dad Work Podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper provide some tips, you can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better that loves better raises children who do the same and in just a couple of generations i feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today your review will help along that path and i thank you so much for being here to listen until next week we'll see you then